Welcome to Thank You for Toilet Paper, a history of the little things, a podcast where we talk about a few things to be grateful for and the history and stories behind them. I'm your host, Elizabeth Miller. Thank you so much for joining me today. Let's get going. My brothers are very adept at skateboarding. I am not. We will often go on family or sibling rides around the neighborhood on our assortment of self-propelled vehicles, half of which are too small and are relics of our childhood. When everyone comes along, usually someone is on an old scooter or my mother's adult scooter and an assortment of old bikes or skateboards. Usually, if I'm relegated to the longboard, I have to hold on to my sister's elbow for her to pull me uphill or just along generally as she works the scooter. It is a very dignified sight to see. Occasionally, we will go longboarding down a nearby canyon as a family as well. Here again, I typically bring up the rear with my rather patient family members offering me encouragement along the way. Even though I may be bad at it, or at least beginner level, I am grateful for these memories with my family, taking out the boards to nearby parking lots or to visit our old elementary school together. And so today, we are going to talk about something that holds a lot of memories for millions of people around the world, from transportation to stories of injuries sustained. Let's talk about skateboarding. Let's take a small step back in time to 1950s California. Amid the craze for surfing, avid surfers needed something to do in the off time when the waves were not fit for surfing. From this sprang a new pastime, skateboarding. Originally nicknamed sidewalk surfing, skateboarding came from bored surfers who wanted something to do. Early boards were ridden barefoot, and riders tried tricks similar to surfing tricks. It's difficult to say when exactly skateboarding came into existence. Before this, early skateboards we got were often made of wooden boxes or boards with wheels from roller skates attached to them. Before we got skateboards, we actually had scooters, with skateboards of that time essentially having handles attached to the boards. These date back to the early 1900s. One of the first shops to order and sell skateboards was a California surf shop in LA, owned by Bill Richards. Bill Richards made a deal with Chicago Roller Skate Company to get the wheels that he needed. The shop would then attach wheels to boards. By the 60s, we had a number of other stores as well, including Hobie, Jacks, Kips, Makaha, and Bings, among others. These began making skateboards that mimicked the surfboard shape. Larry Stevenson, Makaha's founder, created a skateboard exhibition, the very first, in 1963. It was held in a junior high school in Southern California. In 1964, a TV show called Surf's Up showcased a team of skateboarders to popularize the new sport. Popularity began to grow, leading to the creation of a skateboarding magazine in 1964 called The Quarterly Skateboarder. It only lasted for four issues, but ramped up again in a reimagined magazine as Skateboarder in 1975. The National Skateboarding Championships of 1965 were the first to be broadcast. Patty McGee graced the cover of the Times Magazine in 1965. She traveled the country showcasing skateboarding and teaching safety tips as one of the earliest sponsored skateboarders. She was also featured on various television shows around that time. Women have been involved in skateboarding since the very beginning. The sport boomed in popularity, launching Makaha to $4 million worth of sales from 1963 to 1965. But this growth was interrupted in 1966 as sources began to report that skateboarding was unsafe. General popularity died down until the early 1970s. In the 70s, materials used for wheels also changed from metal and clay to a polyurethane made by Cadillac Wheels owned by Frank Nasworthy. The new material made popularity jump again. 
As skate parks had yet to be invented, skateboarders found urban places around which to skate, including Escondido Reservoir near San Diego, as well as a few other haunts, colorfully nicknamed by the skateboarding community. These nicknames included the Tea Bowl, Fruit Bowl, the Bellagio, the Rabbit Hole, Bird Bath, Egg Bowl, and more. By 1975, we had another large skateboarding competition, the biggest since the popularity boom in the 1960s. Here, a new style of skating, with roots in surfing, had a huge impact on the sport forever after. The two-day-long competition had about 500 competitors, and the new style of skating came from the Zephyr team, a team from around Santa Monica. This new style of skateboarding was based on the surfing styles of several Hawaiian surfers. The Zephyr team garnered the nickname Z-Boys. The Z-Boys were influential to the point of being one of the most influential teams in the history of skateboarding. Soon, skateboarding competitions branched out beyond freestyling. The street luge became legal, with records at that time clocking in at over 50 miles an hour, or 80 kilometers an hour. However, due to a lack of safety gear and crashes, the race did not take off in popularity at this time. Bit dangerous. The first two large skate parks open to the public opened in 1976 in Carlsbad, California and Port Orange, Florida. With the California drought in 1976, skateboarders started to skate in empty swimming pools and inventing new tricks, also made possible by improved materials for boards, although plywood was still the material of choice. With this pool skating came the development of vert skating. Skating vertical surfaces, think half pipes or those pools, vert skating makes it possible for skaters to fly up into the air and land back down on the ramp. With these new developments came new liabilities, which led to improvements in safety equipment. The liability also led to the closure of several skate parks. In fact, in Norway, between 1978 and 1989, skateboarding was banned altogether due to injuries. By the 1980s, skateboarding lost momentum and popularity once again. During this time, shops run by skateboarders began to pop up. Further developments and tricks continued, as in 1976, Alan Geffland invented the Ollie, a no-hands aerial. This was about the same time as the grabbed Ollie was invented by George Orton and Tony Alva. They were on different sides of the coast, one in Florida, Alan Geffland, and then the other in California, Orton and Alva. While there were a lot of skills made for vert ramps, most people couldn't actually afford to like build a ramp in their backyard, so street skating grew in popularity, while freestyle skating continued. Rodney Mullen invented many tricks that are foundational today, such as the kickflip and the impossible. There wasn't a lot of space for street skaters at this time, so they ended up skating at parking lots and shopping spaces, much to the protest of business owners. Vert skates declined in the 1980s. Around this time as well, some skateboarders and businesses gave credit to Marty McFly's hoverboarding in Back to the Future and its influence as a catalyst for getting into skateboarding. Tony Hawk reportedly states that many pro skaters that he knows were inspired by that film. In the 1990s, street skateboarding became the name of the game, taking over much of the sport. With the rise in popularity came improvements to the board and its materials. During this time, it followed a cultural movement as hip-hop and punk also became more popular. They kind of grew together. In the 2000s, skateboarding had grown in popularity so much so that more kids under 18 rode skateboards than played baseball. That was a difference of 10.6 million to 8.2 million. Skateboarding even began to be integrated into school physical education programs. It was seen as a means to help children be healthy, learn balance, gain muscle and bone strength, but also to encourage socialization, artistic expression, respect, and experiencing and appreciating nature and the environment outdoors. 
You can see the Wikipedia page there if you want. That's like half a quote. It quotes about five other interesting and different sources, including Ian Borden's Skateboarding and the City, A Complete History. In 2003, June 21st was designated Go Skateboarding Day in an effort to increase popularity for skateboarding around the globe. According to American Sports data, skateboarding increased from 1999 to 2002 to the impressive tune of 60%, going from 7.8 to 12.5 million skaters. More and more skate parks were developed, bringing the skaters off the street and to a more organized setting for safety as well as designated areas. By 2006, there were 2,400 skate parks around the world. One of the largest skate parks in the world was built in China. It is the SMP Skate Park, which measures in at 12,000 square meters and seats 5,000 spectators. Skateboarding went through ups and downs of its social image as well, sometimes viewed as negative, sometimes positive. Skateboarding can cause damages to public property or small businesses where grinding on curves can destroy the curbs, benches, and more. Some communities have made it illegal to skateboard in certain areas and have also installed means to stop skateboarders from skateboarding. In 2015, in an attempt to focus on the positive impact of skateboarding and honor its heritage, the Kennedy Center hosted an event for skateboarders, during which they performed tricks set to music as a means of honoring skateboarding as part of an American cultural heritage. However, as skateboarding has expanded around the globe, this heritage doesn't only belong to Americans, with each country enjoying their own history with the sport. In London, along South Bank, you can find a popular skating park decorated with years' worth of graffiti, colorful forms of expression, and the constant back and forth of skateboarders honing their tricks and creating communities. These days, in warmer communities, barefoot skateboarding on the pennyboard in particular is coming back into popularity. I saw a thriving pennyboard community in Barcelona when I went on a trip there during school. Outside of like the regular means of skateboarding for tricks and transportation, skateboarding was once tested by the U.S. Marines as a possible means for tactical purposes with a project called Urban Warrior 99. With this skateboarding serving the purpose of maneuvering in urban areas and possibly being used to find tripwires and sniper fire, it is estimated that 18 million people in the United States own skateboards. Whether we're using them for transportation as a means of enjoying artistic expression, being outside, or enjoying a community, skateboarding has meant a lot to millions of people around the world. And for all of my fond memories and embarrassing memories of failing miserably at completing the skateboarding task, or going uphill, or holding onto my sister's elbow, for all the times I can look back, laugh, and enjoy these fond memories, I am very grateful. And along the way, I tried something new. I sucked at it, but we did try it. <laughs> That's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a marvelous day. Take care.